Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Everybody and welcome to Nurses Out Loud, another edition of Nurse News Analysis. And I am Nurse Kimberly Overton, and I am here with Nurse Michelle today. Just be the two of us. Nurse Jody O'Malley is enjoying the end of her vacation out in St. Thomas. We wish her well, and we can't wait to get her back with us. But the two of us are here today, and we have plenty to talk about. So Nurse News Analysis, we are bringing you all the latest news from a nurse's perspective, and we are opining, which we love to do here on Nurses Out Loud. Uh, is give you our opinion on just the stories that we are finding in the news. So before we get started today, I do want to encourage our listeners, if you have any questions or comments or you want to share your own experiences with what you're seeing on the front lines of healthcare, you can now submit those to us by sending them directly to nurses at americaoutloud.com. We will be featuring your questions and comments every Tuesday on a special Q&A episode with the nurses. We encourage all of you to engage in the battle and find your voice in this fight, but until you are able to do that, we will continue to be that voice for you. Nurse Michelle, welcome in. Yeah, good to be here. But St. Thomas sounds pretty good. I know, right? I'm a little bit jealous that Jody's out there and 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 St. Thomas and we're here. Well, things are getting so cold. That's definitely in the news. Major. Let me tell you, I'm telling you. So we're now I'm in Tennessee and they kept talking about how it was going to, you know, get prepared, be prepared. It's going to be, I just kept saying it was going to be cold out. I didn't know it was going to actually snow. So I'm sitting here. I have um, no food. <laughs> I have no food. <laughs> I've been snowed in for two days. All I want is some cheese. <laughs> I can't get any, no Instacart deliveries. No, like when I tell you, I hadn't, I hadn't been shopping in like a week or so because I just got so busy. Um, you know, I'm always working and I'm like, oh, I'll go tomorrow, I'll go tomorrow, I'll go tomorrow. And now I've been snowed in for two days. I have no food left. Uh, we all know who's not going to be surviving the apocalypse. That would be Kimberly. Um, <laughs> well, we just moved our son, our 22-year-old into Liberty University, which is in Virginia. Oh, and nice. yeah. we, we had ideally wanted him to move in the fall so that he could adjust before winter came. So he's not even there a week. And his job is on the construction crew. And to yesterday, he got told um, the snow's coming in, get ready for an all-nighter um, scooping snow. And this Georgia boy literally had to stay up all night long shoveling snow. And it was massive amount of snow, nothing that Georgia people are used to. So, right. well, me. I mean, I'm in Tennessee. Listen, I'm born and raised Bostonian, right? But I've been down south for 20 years. I am not built for this anymore. And we <laughs> very rarely get this t- kind of snow, but we've had almost nine inches of snow that has fallen here. So I was out there trying and blow the snow off of my car because I'm like, I have to get out of here. I can't be stuck blowing it off with a leaf blower. <laughs> it, was, it was an experience, but yeah. So lesson learned uh, next time. But you know, it's half the time that weather people don't get it right anyway. So, you know, you don't want to panic and start running to the grocery store to get your bread, milk, and yes, cheese, 
There's Kimberly <laughs> likes cheese, if anybody was wondering. But but yeah. yeah, it's been experience. But we've got plenty to talk about. We don't have to just talk about the weather. We've got plenty of stories to talk to you about today. So I think the first one, Michelle, that I wanted to um, talk about, really sad story, um, is um, so there is a registered nurse um, who she's actually the first nurse elected to Congress, and she sadly passed away. U.S. Representative Eddie Bernice Johnson, she passed away December thirty first due to medical negligence. So this this nurse, unfortunately, um, she was she was hospitalized. Um, she had, I think, some type of an ortho surgery, if I remember correctly from the story. She had an orthopedic Yeah, lower lumbar surgery. Right. And um, so she, the family made a statement. She passed away at her home in Dallas on December 31st. Her um, attorney, Les Wiesbrod, um, is a longtime friend and, and uh, the family's attorney, had revealed um, that her um, surgery led to an infection in her spine, and that is what led to her uh, unfortunate uh, death. But reportedly, it was reported that she was left in her feces at Baylor Scott and White Institute for Rehabilitation following that back surgery. Um, and they are looks like they are setting up to very likely sue the the nurses who cared for her at Baylor Scott and White. So I do want to kind of dig a little bit into this story. Um, I mean, it just, it's such a shame the, the first nurse, she's very accomplished. She was also the first African-American elected to Congress um, and uh, the first nurse elected to Congress. So the irony of this nurse who spent her lifetime caring for others, for her to die at the hands of nurse neglect is, you know, something I think that we need to really look at. Oh, yeah. I mean, to think that here we are in a generation post-COVID era that we're already seeing the largest mass exodus of nurses in the history of the country because they were mandated to get the vaccine. So now we have this shortage of nurses already that nursing shortages is always a problem anyways, because nurses are predominantly women, very likely because they're coming in and out of having children and marriages and things like that. But now we have the largest shortage of nurses ever because of this COVID mandate. And here you've got this historic nurse, this significant person to American history in for a lower lumbar surgery for a scoliosis, probably because she was coping with uh, pain in her back that she just really didn't want to deal with anymore. And she's trusting the medical system to just do what's probably considered a basic surgery it, it sounds like the surgery went well, but here's the problem. If you are, if something happens and you're left horizontal and you have a wound that is on your spine and somebody doesn't come when you need to get up to the bathroom and you're elderly, I'm not sure what her age was. But she was she, 89, I believe. Okay. So she may need assistance. Obviously she's post-op and somebody doesn't come whether she's either conscious or not conscious, we don't know if she her bowels were um, lost because of consciousness or unconsciousness or, or neglect, that wound was soiled by uh, the feces. And it sounds like an attempt was made to get assistance. And the word is that the staff were actually out 
um, in a meeting that they were required to go to because their employer would not did not want to pay for them to come back off business hours, have to come back in for a mandatory meeting. So they called the staff into a meeting during their work time when they're supposed to be caring for the patients and left somebody like maybe a ward clerk or maybe just a nurse assistant there that probably could not manage all the patient care. And these nurses, I'm sure, did not want to leave their station and leave their care. They would have rather been paid the extra money to come in for a meeting and um, be, be doing what they were supposed to be doing. But because of either shortage or this meeting, it looks like neglect did happen. Right. And that, I mean, that's so sad because the system, you know, the system, the way that it's designed, it's constantly asking and tasking us with more, with less resources. And as you alluded to with the nursing shortage, again, not, not anything new to this profession. We've always had nursing shortages. We've faced this as long as I've been in healthcare, but the mass exodus of um, nurses who left post-COVID, and then, of course, all of the nurses who were fired, wrongfully terminated for, for their refusal to get the vaccine. It just really has added insult to injury, and it's just made the situation that much uh, more unbearable. But yeah, the family member said that they had called. I think we have a clip here that we're going to play for you. Um, and this was originally reported by uh, Nurse Erica on, I think, Instagram. That's where I found it, but this is right from the news. This okay. clip is right okay. from the news. Okay, so, so we're going to play. This is the family member. I believe this is her son. She was still in that same condition. We waited. I pressed the button. No one responded. So at that point, I left and went out to the nursing station, and there was no one there. A few minutes later, I finally was approached by a young lady. I can't give you her name, but she had on a Baylor smock. And she went and found some of the nurses and came back and told me that they were in training and that they would be out shortly. It was at that point I said, I need to speak with someone else. And I was directed to the administrative office on the first floor of the facility. And I told him and asked him, would he accompany me to see what her condition smelled? And I understand you say that the nurses have indicated to you that they were in training at that time. Is that what their issue was? Or they weren't present? That's what I was told on that day. I have no idea what they were really doing. They, they weren't there. They weren't on the floor. He couldn't find any of them on the floor. And he was subsequently called. They were all in the training session. And uh, as you heard from the tape recording from the uh, case manager, uh, they called and left the voicemail. Uh, she said that the uh, tech was in another room. Um, so, I mean, basically nobody was there. And uh, Congressman was abandoned. And Blair Price, I keep hearing the nurses weren't there. It's the techs that take care of the patients, not the nurses, correct? Both tech and nurse. So there should be both tech and a nurse available in there, particularly when she's hitting the call button. That goes to the nurse. No nurse responded. It was the desk and the desk besides it. There wasn't anyone at the desk? Correct. If it goes to the desk where a nurse is sitting. I hope. Wow. So that is mind blowing. As you hear a lawyer trying to say, well, a tech takes care of the patient. I, did you see my face? We're on camera with each other because I think we both made that face like, wait, what? Wait, we actually care for patients as well. Actually, where I, I was in the ICU. We didn't have tech. So <laughs> it was all the nurses caring for the patients. But uh, the, the techs are amazing. I always, always love what they do. Um, so, But it is uh, definitely a combination of the techs and the nurses caring for the patients. Um, but that aside, listening to that, 
what, what happens if, if there's a code on the floor? How are there no nurses on the floor? Number one, I, that's to me, there should always be at least two nurses because you need at least two nurses in order to run a code, period. Um, so at all times, there should be two nurses. So, there, so there's that. That makes me question. And my problem is I understand that there's a training going on, but patient care, first and foremost, that is our priority. They, that is our priority as nurses. And what really bothers me, Michelle, is that none of these nurses were speaking up and saying, okay, well, I have a patient that needs care. I'll be back. I will leave. I'll step away from the training. Somebody should have been speaking up and speaking out about that. Like the training is all well and good, but if somebody needs care, you need to be getting your ass up and taking care of your patients. And I am, unfortunately, I feel like we don't have nurses that have any backbone anymore. Because again, these are nurses that could not even advocate for themselves, right? How are they advocating for their patients if they couldn't advocate for themselves? Another troubling aspect is that the person was not in a bed by themselves with no family member watching out for them. She actually sounds like she had her son there. He's calling, pushing the button, which is your first line as a caretaker to push the nurse call button. That's what we tell people to do. He does it. Nobody comes. He does it again. Nobody comes. So he he does what a responsible uh, family member would do, which is go out to the nurse's station and hunt down medical care and finds nobody there because the only tech is inside of a room with somebody else. He he takes it to a whole nother level, having to go down to administration to get himself access to somebody that's going to advocate for his mother. Because obviously as a son, I would hate for my son to have to have me found in a, a, a stool situation where my wound is getting contaminated. Now, um, having just had surgery, I was very conscientious about my wound, making sure it's, it was dry. And they put what's called a tegaderm dressing on it that has that really sheer sticky tape around it. And then there's a gauze that's about an inch and a half inside of that sticky tape. And so it's mostly sticky tape that's uh, about two inch circumference around my wound. And then the gauze itself was only about two inches itself. So I did, I saran, when I got in the shower, I saran wrapped my entire thigh. I was so worried about that wound because I know that wounds that get contaminated are the ones that um, get into the most trouble. And when I took off my dressing for the first time, I started using that ASEA redox signaling gel, Mm -hmm. not gel, the um, liquid And I put it in an atomizer and started atomizing it at my wound site because I had been told to do that by somebody who was a longtime ASEA person. And they said it really does help um, heal the wound. But I mean, I'm home. This person is still immediate post-op. She's got a wound that, like I said, is at the lower part of the spine, which would be kind of right at the top of the crack of the rear end. So if you're going to, if you have liquid stool or anything, it could easily slide up toward where that wound is. And a son does not want to have to be taking care of that for his mother, nor should he have to in a hospital setting. Um, makes me wonder, was there a tegaderm dressing even on there? You know, because if a tegaderm was on there, the, the stools shouldn't have been able to get into it, right? Right. I mean, or how saturated, What you know, how how long was she actually in this feces? How much was there? I mean, it just, it, it really blows my mind, though, that, you know, and and there's so many. It's it's a breakdown in the system for sure. It's a breakdown in the system because and it's not, um, it's it's the 
the hospital's responsibility to be staffing appropriately, and it doesn't sound like that's happening. Um, and if they have to bring in travelers or whoever else they have to bring in, that it's their responsibility, right, to, to staff these units appropriately. But it's our responsibility as nurses to um, not take unsafe assignments. It's our responsibility as nurses, because like at the end of the day, it's our license, and the hospital will throw you under the bus every single time, every time. Right. Never Every think time. that you're going to be protected by your medical mm -hmm. facility. Oh, no. I, yeah. I remember one particular death, a fetal demise that happened uh, right after my shift. The patient had been really concerning me all through my 12-hour shift. And I had started uh, reporting, putting on my nurse's note, every five to 10 minutes, I would write something because I knew something was wrong. I had been texting the doctor, calling the doctor, getting no response, getting no help. And we were overloaded and understaffed that night. So I was required to keep leaving her to go attend to other active labor patients. And the baby's heart rate was very concerning to me. And um, the baby would end up being delivered on the next shift. And the baby died soon after it was born. And the family did not want an autopsy. But what was interesting was I get a call at like 6 a.m. the next morning saying, you better get your booty in here right now and change your report. They wanted me to change what I had written in my notes, which was protecting myself okay. because I was saying due to understaffing, I am required to keep going to other rooms. So I am calling the doctor and calling. I, I was incriminating everybody like I am being forced to leave this patient that I would yeah. never leave. So they actually threatened me um, and said they were if I did not change it, that I was incriminating the hospital, they were going to come after my license. So I had to lawyer up. Wow. And in the end, the um, person who actually made that threat to me was the one who ended up losing the job. But I found out ever so quickly how they would throw a nurse under the bus. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And and again, you, CYA, you know, you have to. You have to be uh, making sure that your documentation is, is covering yourself because the hospital, listen, they are not going to cover you. And I used to think um, when I first got into uh, nursing, I, I didn't think much about um um, insurance, having, you know, the liability insurance as a nurse, because I was like, oh, the hospital's insurance will cover me. Uh-uh. No, get your own. Get your own liability insurance, because I'm telling you, these hospitals uh, don't care, and they will throw you under the bus at every turn. It's such a sad story, though. I'm, I'm just, it's heartbreaking to me to, to see I, this. And, and nurses need to step up and need to... Um, you know, they, they need to be advocating for the, the pa patient care first, always. Period. I wonder if there's reasonable advice to say that beyond getting your power of attorney together before you ever go into hospitalization, you would need to have, I recommend people put three different names on their power of attorney, one of which is a medical person that you know, who's, and that all three people on the POA have to agree with whatever decision has to be made about you if you're unconscious and unable to make that decision. That way, somebody who loves you, that you know loves you well, maybe the assumed spouse that everybody assumes love you well, and then the medical person. Uh, and that those three people have to make a decision, make decisions for you unconscious and agree upon it. But I wonder whether or not there needs to be a recommendation to say, I have a patient care person I'm hiring to be by my bedside after I'm operative 
that, I mean, I don't even know what that would cost, but it may be if, do you know if anything like that even exists right now for concerts? Yeah, well, I, yeah, well, we do that with Remnant. If, if you know, we have nurses that are available and that can be hired to do uh, post-op care as well in the home, advocate at the bedside, that sort of thing. So yeah, absolutely. And that, I, and again, this is the type of thing, like maybe you don't have a family member that can be at your side, but maybe you, you do, you know, you have a nurse or a care person that can come in and and stay with you because we're we're seeing very clearly that the hospitals um, are not are not safe places to be um, for many reasons. But I will tell you, when I was working and doing telephone triage, Michelle, I would get phone calls all the time, and I would get phone calls um, because so that they would call the the hospital switchboard, and it would come to the triage nurses at a certain time. And there were calls coming from inside the hospital. These were patients. These were hospitalized patients. And like, I'm at such and such a facility um, in room, you know, whatever. And I've been calling the nurses and the nurses aren't coming. I've been calling for an hour. I need to be changed. I get these calls. I would get these calls more often than, and it would break my heart. It would absolutely break my heart because what can you do? You know, what can you do? And I'd have to, I would have to put them on hold, call the nurse's station and try to get a hold of somebody at the facility. And, you know, even trying to get somebody at the facility, it was crazy because it would loop me back to our our line, right? So it was very difficult to get anybody and to make them understand that we are not physically on site. But so to, all that to say that this is something that happens pretty frequently. This is not like a, you know, one-off situation. This, this is happening where people are not being cared for appropriately. So we need to have either a family member or an advocate or whoever you can at your side at all times. Yeah, there's another um, case that might be interesting. We could talk about on the second half if you want to, but it's one of the largest lawsuits won uh, against a hospital apparently. And it has to do with a person coming in with a stroke and they um, get re- the radiologist that reads it is a resident and not an actual radiologist yet. Yeah. And that person makes the wrong call and the person ends up dying because of that. So that when you're a lay person out there that is not medical, anybody with a white coat, you may assume is potentially somebody who has authority and is giving you the right information. But ner- the, us nurses know that that absolutely does not mean the case. I mean, I write on every single one of my um, consents on the sidelines. I write no resident, student nurses, student doctors to be involved in my care whatsoever. And even though I put that inside my consents when I was hospitalized last, Sure enough, they brought in the nursing students to, um, could she just go ahead and give you this injection or whatever? And so I said, yes, anyways, because it was her first injection on me. I thought, okay, I guess I, that's only fair. And it was a Lovenox injection, but she messed up and oh my gosh, I was black and blue all over for that. So when they came in, cause they made another mistake on me, um, not the nursing students, but the staff had. And they said, well, could he be the one to start your IV? And I'm like, nope, 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 no no more students for Michelle. I want your best IV person because I've got to get on an airplane in two, you know, a couple of hours. I got to get out of here. <laughs> right. I don't blame you there. And I'm usually one, like, I always let the, the students work. I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, go ahead, you know, do, do your thing because you got to learn. I mean, they got to learn sometime, right? But, but. um, I'm very high risk. So I have yeah. very rare diagnoses. And I agree with you on that sentiment. And that's why I went ahead and let her do that Lovenox injection mm-hmm. for the same reason you would want to as well, let these nursing students do it. And if it's something that's so non-risky for me, obviously I'd say yeah. yes to it. 
but my, but if I'm signing a consent and I'm unconscious and I'm in a surgical suite, I already wrote down, there better not have been any learning students poking inside of my body or being involved in this major surgery while I was unconscious, not saying yes. Right. I've had them like the nursing students starting like IVs on me before and stuff. And I'm like, I actually end up like walking them through. I'm like talking them through the, the actual procedure. I'm like, okay, go, go away preceptor. I got this. Like it's my, it's my arm. I'm going to tell them how to do it. So I love it. Yeah, yeah. It's really sad what's going on here. It, it really, really is. So yeah, I mean, I, I hate, I, I do, we have to, we have to step up and do better, you know, as nurses, I know that we are, um, you know, we're, we're placed in this situation that it's not um, by any fault of our own, but we have to have the spine, right, to sit and and say no more. We, we have to be able to take a stand for these patients that we are caring for, because at the end of the day, it's our license, and we are the ones that are charged with caring for them. And, and when something like this happens, um, trust and believe, again, that it will be you personally as the nurse that is that they can come after. Um, the hospital will do nothing to protect you. I can almost guarantee you that. Um, I see a quick, an, an interesting note just to end on her, just to give her honor for this. It says Johnson was the first African-American to serve as chief psychiatric nurse at the Dallas Veterans Administration Hospital. Mm-hmm. And she entered politics after 16 years serving in that position. Oh, well, God bless her. Our condolences to the family uh, of of Miss um, Johnson. That is, it's just awful. It's just awful that we are all the advancements in science and nursing and all of this that that this this woman this nurse died of nurse neglect is just the irony is just so sad America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network you can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world we have the best in class apps available on Apple Android or Alexa 24/7 great talk radio All of our shows go to podcast the following day. You can hear them on apps such as Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart Podcast, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for me. Don't forget to check out our online store at americaoutloud.shop where you can find all of the products that we represent on our network at a discounted rate, including ASEA Redox, which I can personally speak to seeing fantastic results with, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. Use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your purchase. We'll catch you on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's time in this This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. 
Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill, it's a patent pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. AmericaOutloud.news was an idea a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. The First Amendment is alive and well. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Wherever you're listening from today and whatever you're doing, I thank you for giving me the gift of your time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.news your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. If you're just joining us, I'm here with Nurse Michelle, and we are doing another edition of Nurse News Analysis. Nurse Michelle, what do, we, what do we have queued up for uh, after the break here? Yeah, I referenced before the break uh, the lawsuit that had happened because a radiologist that was a uh, resident misdiagnosed a stroke victim. So I'm going to let everybody hear the announcement of that. New York City jury has found a hospital guilty of $120 million in damages. In the case of Robert Lee, a New York City court has ordered that the hospital Westchester Medical Center pay $120 million for a misdiagnosis of a basilar artery stroke. Before we get into the story, it's wild. A basilar artery stroke, a basilar artery is in the back of your brain. It provides oxygen and blood to the parts of your brain that not only control speech, ability to swallow, but the ability to smile and the ability to talk. Now, this stroke occurred about 3 a.m. back in 2018, Robert William Lee, William Robert Lee, William Lee was brought to the hospital because 
he was thought to be having a stroke. Then the CT scan was read by a resident, not by a board-certified trained radiologist. The resident read the results as clean. However, William Lee's symptoms did not improve with treatment, and he was planning of a severe headache. About three hours later in the morning, so William Lee came in about 3 a.m. He had the scan about 4 a.m. And about 7 a.m. in the morning, a board-certified radiologist read the results, immediately called the ER doctors. He immediately went to surgery. However, it was too late. The brain tissue had already been deoxygenated for too long of a period. Because of this, the family said that the patient is unable to be a father, a husband, and a part of the community anymore. And the family was awarded $120 million in this lawsuit. The reason why this hits home is because residents are not fully trained doctors. And the hospital not only had a resident covering overnight, but they were also covering the emergency room. In the emergency room, you and I both know that all sorts of people come in with all sorts of symptoms and ER doctors are overburdened as it is. Unfortunately for this resident, obviously they were not up to the task and they missed the diagnosis. And unfortunately for the patient, it gave permanent lasting damages. This is also a massive lawsuit in the form of $120 million, but, but the reason why this is bigger is because medical hospitals and community hospitals and hospitals across the country are not going to be able to just leave residents by themselves if there are catastrophic results. As an attending physician now, I can pinpoint when it's a resident doing the work and when it's the active surgeon doing the work or the active attending doing the work in the realm of surgery, but also on the floors when it has to do with residents versus attending. And now this is going to set a precedent for the future. Residents are not given the same degree or level of autonomy, but it also might be safer for the patients. It's a weird dichotomy. I'm not entirely sure where I fall on the spectrum that residents should have more autonomy or should have less autonomy because we do have to train our doctors, but we also have to be safe about it. And hospitals are under pressure as far as budgets go and they have to cut costs. And if having a resident overnight moonlight is a way to save a couple thousand bucks on this side or that side every single day, it's a very tough situation. I don't have a right answer for it. There's a lot of moving parts. Obviously, the residents need education. Obviously, it's a business. And obviously, there's a patient in the middle who has more pull. Because without money, there's no treatment for the patient and there's no training for the resident. But without time, there's no resident that can get trained. And without a patient, neither of these two exist either. So be able to find a happy medium. I don't know what that is, but this is a landmark trial. It's probably going to set the precedent for other future medical malpractice trials going forward. What do you think? What's your opinion? Where do you fall on the spectrum? What do you think of that? You know, I think sometimes we, and we see this over and over in healthcare where, you know, and it's been true as long as I've been in healthcare, which is almost 30 years, that these hospital systems, um, they, they always place profits over patient care. That is not anything new. Um, and I think sometimes that they forget that there are human beings in those beds. These are human lives in these beds. So, you know, just, and you want to talk about saving a couple thousand dollars by having the resident and not anybody who's, you know, fully trained. Um, it, it, I mean, think about the amount of money that you're, uh, how much did they just have to pay out 120 million? Yeah, they so, lost all that they tried to say they lost. Right. So, I mean, they're obviously not the smartest. Well, um, the thing is, is we just do not, the, when you are the patient, if you're in, like, he was covering the ER as well. And um, like he said, this person wasn't ready up to the task. That's what's called. That's why he's called a resident. It's not like okay. he's, a flawed human being or made some right. mega mistake. He wasn't 
a uh, board certified yet. So because he wasn't a board certified um, radiologist, he shouldn't have been put in that position anyway. So really the hospital is the ultimate responsible person here. Correct. He didn't have the right person, but as a patient, you, you, it, by the time you um, are in a hospital situation, let's say you are the ER patient, that isn't when you start polling your white coat people to say, what is your status on the scale of medical skills? Are you a doctor of this specialty? Are you a resident? How long have you been a doctor of specialty? I mean, Dr. Death in Texas was, um, you know, killing people Mm -hmm. and had, I think the right credentials for what he did, but he was still a, a destroyer of humans. So even credentials don't always measure up. I remember when I was in surgery in October, they did not put those um, pneumatic leggings on my legs right after I came out of surgery. I I think that's the, is that the name of them that squeeze? Yeah, the SCDs, the um, uh, compression, sequential compression devices, or yeah, Yeah. pneumatic, yeah. I love the way they feel, um, but I'm a blood clot previous stroke patient anyway. So I'm already a high risk person who Those just should have absolutely been on a hip surgery and hip surgery patients are very prone to having blood clots. And Dr. McCullough had written to me, he says, Michelle, you do whatever it takes to avoid a blood clot. So I was literally fighting for myself to have those leggings. And every time the doctor came in the room, he did not have good English. And he would look at me literally like long and hard, like, and I literally finally said, are you not understanding what I'm saying to you? Because you're not saying anything, but you need to understand something. This hospital should be putting every single patient that comes out of hip surgery on these leggings that I should absolutely have on. And let me tell you, I discharged never, ever having been given those leggings. That's crazy. On an ortho floor. I mean, that's where you would, where you would want it because the, the incidence of blood clots it's very, very common after that a surgery like this, particularly hip surgery. So to have that not even be thought of, I mean, that's just standard, uh, pro- I hate that word, but it's, it is, it's standard protocol following an ortho surgery like that. So I, I just can't understand. And unfortunately, most people don't know that you being a nurse, you knew, but your average person isn't going to know to ask for those um, SCDs or, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to know to ask for those compression devices. So we're, we're here to let you know right now, if you are in there having an ortho surgery, you should actually absolutely have these on your legs, squeezing you. They're kind of annoying for some people. Some people, you either love them or you hate them. That yes, has been my experience. Claustrophobic. That, yes. that is, like, I'm trapped because it's actually a, hooked up to the base mm-hmm. of the bed and it's yeah. got a, a compression thing that's squeezing air in and out of you. But my lady that was in the room right beside me, not room, we were behind a curtain. It was a semi-private room. Mm -hmm. She was in her 80s, had just had full hip replacement surgery. And I said, and by the way, I'm not sure if you're the doctor for the girl on the other side of this curtain here, but she doesn't have them on either. So get them on her. And never (laughs) never did either one of us ever get them. And she really, she's now a follower of Nurses Out Loud and maybe out there listening to this story because she saw that I was here I was trying to save myself and I was trying to save her. And when they told me those COVID patients were down the hall, I'm like, I know what to do to help them too. Let's get them all out of here. <laughs> but um, they didn't like me very much for that. But no, I'm you sure know, not. You were up in Maine too. So I'm sure that was a very interesting experience up there. Actually, quite a bit of the nurses ended up showing up to say that they had had vaccine injuries. So they yeah, were really. 
thankful to hear something other than the normal. But yeah, um, this is really tragic because your average patient doesn't know it. I'm glad you brought up about what remnant nursing does provide that for a reasonable fee, you could probably pay a 24-7 nurse to be there that's paid just for your loved one to be by her bedside. And perhaps you can find a way to have that written off or cover, I, I don't know what could be done with it, but it may be the best money you have spent that you actually have somebody brought in that's paid specifically just for your loved one because they sleep. I, I woke up one night um, with no, I just had my, I was, it must've been hot. And I only had on my, the gown that they have for the hospital, my bare legs out and my hands across my stomach asleep. And I saw two respiratory therapists come in through the night and they were um, very slowly watching me. You know, they weren't up at my head checking my CPAP and I felt violated. Like I had been found laying in the bed as a woman um, unconscious on a medication, not even fully aware of my surroundings. And nobody was uh, beside the bedroom in my room with me that night. So it felt vulnerable. There's that's a, there's so many reasons to have somebody there with you the whole time you're in the hospital. Exactly. And, you know, let's let's go over really quickly, Michelle, since we were talking about um, the stroke uh, that, that came in, uh, let's cover some stroke symptoms really quickly. I think that's always important. And anytime we can get that information out to the general public who may not understand that the, what the signs of a stroke are. And you can think about that by um, thinking about the acronym FAST is, is what uh, I think they're still using that <laughs> FAST. So you want to start with F, uh, your face. Facial drooping is one side of your face uh, drooping down. When you you always want to ask the person that you think or suspect might be having a stroke, ask them to smile. And if you see one side of their face drooping, that can be indicative of a stroke. Um, so thinking of the acronym FAST, next letter A is for arm, arm weakness. Is the, is the person able to, do they have weakness or numbness in one arm? on one side. That's always a sign of a, a possible stroke. Ask the person to raise both of their arms. If one of them is drifting down, that could be potentially a sign of a stroke as well. Uh, speech difficulty. If you start having uh, slurred speech, um, they become difficult, under, difficult to understand. They keep repeating things or they're saying things that don't make any sense. Um, that can also be a sign of a stroke. So F, F is face, A is arm, S is speech. And then T is time. It's time is of the essence in these situations. It's critical. You call 911 immediately at any sign of a stroke. Even if the symptoms go away, you should always call 911 immediately and get to the hospital as quickly as you can to have that evaluated. Again, time is of the essence and you really need to get there um, in time because there's a very small window in order to get um, the, uh, um, I'm not having a stroke. I just, I'm in menopause. Michelle, help me. <laughs> the, Ambulance there in time. No, the uh, the small the window for the uh, oh lord the clot buster the clot buster. Oh right, TPA. TPA. Thank you. I couldn't think of it. I am not having a stroke. Um, thank you. <laughs> well, what's um, notable to me is I actually did have a stroke after a surgery in two thousand and eight. I had a um, a hysterectomy and um, it, it ended up taking longer than it was supposed to have taken because they were just supposed to take out my uterus and one ovary, but they ended up taking out both of my ovaries and altered my life forever. Wow. Um, but when I woke up, 
I was told that I had a sticker on my hiney to represent my ovaries that was going to be my estrogen patch. And I actually have a blood clotting disorder that contraindicates um, estrogen that I'm not, it would make me have a stroke if I, or blood clot, if I actually had that patch on it. So within just a couple of weeks, I did have, I was out at a museum with my children and my first symptom was actually severe vertigo. I actually, the whole room uh, kind of flipped upside down on me and I fell into the wall. So it was a balance issue for me. And then I started slurring my words and it may have been my first TIA before the bigger one came. And by the time these doctors, here I was a 42-year-old woman that did not look the part of a stroke um, person, because in that day and age, before the COVID vaccine rolled out, we didn't normalize a woman at 42 years old being a stroke victim by any means. And so I was gaslit originally, um, and I would go on to have multiple TIAs, and by the time it was actually figured out, um, I had multiple um, ischemic sites all over my frontal lobe. So speech uh, slurring, just kind of feeling like my tongue was not quite right, not talking. I did not have a droop of the face. I did not have a, a weak arm or anything like that. It was all in my frontal lobe and it proved to be cognitive for me. I had um, IQ, it affected my ability to uh, manage numbers and things like that and took me quite a while to actually get over. So uh, Anything that you know is out of the ordinary with your loved one that falls in this category is obviously an emergent thing to get in. And if you get into the um, ER and they're not really hearing you, you need to say the words, I think my loved one is having a stroke. Get yes. them back to care. Yes, because they have to get to a CT uh, in a certain amount of time. Like you can't, you cannot wait around for these people. You have to say, I, I think I'm having stroke-like symptoms. So to your point, I actually had a TIA when I was 43, I believe I had a TIA and I was, and you know, I'm convinced as I'm telling all of you, make sure you get there right away. I'm literally in the parking lot of the ER arguing with myself to go in. I'm like, go in, you know, you're having a stroke because I'm starting, I had left-sided um, numbness and weakness. I just did not feel right. Um, my lips were numb. My tongue was, I, I was like, something is going on. I don't know what's, what's happening. But so finally after, uh, too long, I waited a long time and I shouldn't have, I should have immediately called 911, but I am your typical nurse, um, your typical non-compliant nurse. And I sat in the parking lot of the ER for too, for too long, finally went in and, um, you know, I, I told them, I think I'm having a stroke. And to your point, Michelle, they're looking at me like I'm crazy because yeah, I'm, I'm young, right? They're like, oh, I don't, I don't think you're having a stroke or whatever. I'm like, well, I don't care what you think. I care about this is what is going on in my body. You need to get me back into the CT scan because, you know, Lord knows I could have been and they're just kind of wanting to dismiss um, the symptoms I was having. So very important, advocate for yourself. Use the word, I believe I'm having a stroke. Yeah, like they said about this man, he can no longer be a father, provider, worker. His yeah. brain was denied too long of the oxygen and the damage was done. So uh, I've heard that some of the ambulances actually have um, something that the, an ice pack of some kind for the head, because apparently cooling the brain is a, a way of their treatment. So I've even told my kids because they know my history that if mom is unconscious on the floor, um, just go ahead and get make sure that when you're calling 911, go ahead and get those ice clay packs and start wrapping my head up while you're waiting for them to come and get me because it could be another stroke again. But exactly. I, think, I think you had another news that was a real shocker that involved a lightning strike. 
Yes. Yeah. So on, let me pull that up really quickly. So yeah, there was, um, this is so tragic and it just goes to show you that like, I mean, tomorrow is not promised to any one of us. And in any moment, right. We, it could all be over. Um, this 34 year old woman, a Venezuelan woman, um, she was a mother and a beautician. Her name was Forlanis Rivas Roman. And she tragically lost her life to a lightning strike. Um, she was vacationing in uh, Boquila beach in Colombia. Actually, we were just in Colombia, interestingly enough. Um, but it, the incident was captured on security camera. It's very shocking to watch. She's just walking along the beach and walking around along the water's edge. And uh, the lightning strike come down, hit her right on the head. And she it immediately took her down. And, you know, there was a swift response from lifeguards and other bystanders. They, uh, 45 minutes of attempted resuscitation. Uh, sadly, she was deceased by the time she got to the hospital there. Um, in that area that day, there were 250 lightning strikes reported. So I don't, there were some severe weather alerts that had been issued. So I think that underscores the importance of paying attention to things like that, to, to weather. Like I should have been paying attention to the snow that should have been here. Um, but so, yeah, like you've got to pay attention to these things because you absolutely should not have been walking along the water's edge. You know, that these things can happen, unfortunately. And this is so tragic. Um, but then I as I was, we were talking about this, you have an incredible story about where you actually intervened for somebody, for a child that was struck by lightning. Yeah. But you know, what stuck out to me too, to bring back up is that, just this last summer, we were at the beach and we had the red flag warning that was out there. But when you're there for your vacation, you're not going to not go out there to the beach. So you're like, okay, well, the water's dangerous. Did that keep people from going out into the water? Absolutely yeah. not. So my husband, who had never, ever done anything like this before, was put in a situation where he had to rescue three people drowning that day who went out and swam. So when when the warning's out there, if it said that there was a weather warning for lightning, um, I guess that's that would be the day you shouldn't be walking on the beach. It's just really tragic to think 250 happened. But on the day that it happened for us, I was, it was in 1986 or seven. I can't. I really want to tell everybody how old I was in 1986. Okay. Yes, let's do it. Okay. I, I was nine. I was nine. <laughs> 86. I, I, yes. I very rarely get to feel young. So. so I am the older nurse here in this story. <laughs> so here I am. I'm 19 years old. I'm in nursing school. I'm at a lake front area with a beach in Georgia that we would um, spend our childhood at uh, going for summer cold, hot days many a time. And I'm there with my boyfriend and we're both swinging on the swing. And in Georgia in the summers, you you can have these very hot days where we call it hazy weather. And that usually means that you, it's not really a blue sky. It's just like there's almost like a fog that comes down and it's just the air is very thick. It's very humid, but nothing would keep you from swimming. In fact, you would want to be swimming on these hazy days because it is so hot. So we were sw um, just swinging and watching the people at the beach when I saw a young boy at the top of a metal slide at a lake, whoever thought that was a good idea, I don't know, okay. but he was standing at the top of that slide. He was about 12 years old and out of the sky comes a gigantic bolt of lightning and hit him right on the top of the head. And I saw it happen and his body is flung to the ground into the sand and I had already been CPR certified probably about a year at that point, because I think we had to be before we started nursing school. And I was, I had just finished my first year of nursing school. 
So I, of course, immediately first responder actions. This is before the cell phones because, yes, believe it or not, people, they were not always around. (laughs) And so I run out to the little boy and he has what I would call, if you don't know what a spider angioma is, um, and older people, you might see them on their legs. It looks like um, you can see all the vessels on the surface of the skin and it kind of looks like a spider. Well, on this boy's chest, it was the entire size of his chest. And it the um, he had a almost like a smoking area on the top of his head where the lightning had gone in through his head, through his entire body and out his foot. So his foot had a burn uh, and was smoking on his foot. So I'm screaming for people to um, get to a phone and get 911, tell them there is a lightning strike and a cardiac involvement, emergency life flight may be needed. And they they ran for help. I think my boyfriend may have been one of those people who did that. And um, I had to start assessing him for need for CPR. And what was so unusual for me as a young nurse was that he had a very bizarre kind of breathing. He was breathing. Um, and I actually heard a very abnormal, irregular heart heart rate going on. Like he had a heart rate, but it was completely altered by the electricity that had gone through his body. So I had to go ahead and initiate breaths and um, CPR until the flight came and it was ambulance and flight and they flew him out of there. And because we did not have, uh, there was no HIPAA laws at this time in 1986 either. Um, So I was able to hunt down the presumed hospital, which in Atlanta is Scottish Children's Hospital, Scottish Rite Children's Hospital. And I called and said, I I was the rescuer. I want to know what his status was. And I knew that he, I was able to find out enough to know that he lived and was alive at the time, but I never got to find out. I would love to find out what his story is. Like, was he brain damaged, permanently brain damaged um, to survive something like that and to have right over your heart, this vital organ of your body, um, something so vascular show that it went through that much stress. It would have this gigantic spider angioma on his chest. It it was like a um, life altering moment that you'll never forget ever happened to you. And and I've never had to do CPR ever since then. That was the only oh, time wow. I ever had to do it. Cause in labor and delivery, I was a labor, high risk labor and delivery nurse. I had some seriously high risk patients with insane high blood pressures, but never did anybody code on me that I had to do CPR. Yeah. Whereas you were in ICU, I'm sure you had plenty. Oh, of every night, <laughs> usually just about every night we were, especially during COVID. Unfortunately, it was we it was multiple times uh, every every night that we were having people code. And in fact, when I think about COVID and people code, like I I can only think about two or maybe three people out of that entire time that actually survived that were put on a vent and then were able to get off of it. And um, yeah, it, it was it was very bad. It was very bad, you know, and so, all right, we got through the, the lightning strike. There was one other story I think we were going to talk about, Michelle, and that was, there was this incident that happened in a courtroom. I can't, was it Las Vegas? Let's see. Um, it was a judge that, yeah, you go ahead and tell, I'll look it up and see where it was. Tell I, think it was in, I think it was in Las Vegas and this uh, gentleman was going before the judge. He had a very, very lengthy criminal history, 
best I can remember from this video. This video was shocking. It was about a week or so ago that it came out and it was shocking. He was very, which is very interesting because during the, you know, he's giving his statement to the judge and he's basically asking for leniency while the judge was having none of it because this guy had a very, very lengthy criminal, criminal history. Um, but he was very, very calm and very, you know, very nice and everything during this time. And then when, once he realized that this judge was having none of it, I mean, in like a set, I mean, I don't even know. I, I saw him like just jump up. He literally jumped up <laughs> over the, over the, um, the, whatever uh, that thing is called. Yeah, whatever it's called, because it's really high. It's, it's very high. He dove. I mean, he had to have like had got a running start. Dove, um, jumped on top of this judge. He was physically on top of this judge. Um, and I couldn't be, I couldn't believe what was happening that, and this went on for a few minutes, like the struggle. Yeah, he was beat up. They were, everybody in that room was literally um, giving all their fists to take yes. him down. And this man was not going down. He he got her. And when he came back in for resentencing, they had a muzzle on him, like out of Silence of the Lambs. Oh right my gosh. Silence of the Lambs, he had a muzzle on his face. I didn't and see that follow up. <laughs> some kind of unique mitts on his hand that if they lost him again, that if he attempted it, his, when I saw the muzzle on his face for the sentencing, I thought, yeah, if you got to somebody, you could bite them. Absolutely. Bite yeah. off something on their face or their ear or who knows what. Yeah. He, he was out of control, but here I just couldn't believe it. I was like, are, are do they not arm these people in the courts? And are they not armed? I just couldn't believe our stun gun. I mean, something I'm not, you know, certainly I'm not advocating we shoot everybody, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. You know, we've got to be able to protect ourselves. Just crazy. I mean, just craziness. But anyway, that's a whole other, that's a whole other story, but I did want to talk Thank about you. it because it was, it was so shocking uh, yeah. to see that. And unfortunately there's, I think there's a lot of unaddressed mental health issues that, but that's a whole other episode uh, in and of itself. But I really, I think that's we're probably hit hitting the time today. So, unfortunately, but thank you, Michelle, for joining me for another episode of Nurse News Analysis. Love having you on. Fun day, absolutely. That is all the time that we have for today, friends. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. You can also catch the Encore at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses. This is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. You can find me here every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Remember that we are in a war for truth. We are putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. No topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time.